Thanks for listening to the Campus Collective Podcast. As always, we pray that this resource is a helpful supplement for you as a follower of Jesus and as an active member in your local church. We love God's design for His church, and we believe that this resource could never substitute the incredible things that come from active involvement with a community of believers. Campus Collective is a ministry of Huntington Community Church. To learn more, visit our website at HuntingtonCommunityChurch.com. If you guys do not know me, my name is Dustin. I'm the one to help lead the uh, ministry here at Huntington Community Church. Um, Jana reiterated this, but I just want to... It's like all in the way. Okay. I want to reiterate just how important that our conviction of campus ministry through the local church is. Um, There are a lot of big decisions that you guys will make in college, and one of the biggest is what church will you belong to. Um, Not what church will you attend, not what church will you call home, but what family will you commit to? And so whenever uh, you see this going on on a weekly basis, this is a local church called by God to minister to the campus. And we are so thankful. Um, So many of you are answers to our prayers uh, that we get to equip you and encourage you as you see Marshall as your mission field. Um, So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab those. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 21 and go through chapter 2, verse 12. And uh, last week, I think I heard Janice say it was a very weird time. I literally couldn't see anyone, and it was uh, no AC. So I am really thankful that uh, it feels good in here tonight. Uh, We're going to be able to to really lean in and see what the Lord uh, would have for us in his word. Uh, The title of of our series, as we're going to take literally this semester and next semester to walk through the entire book of Mark. And the title of the series is The Relentless Life of of Jesus Christ. Um, This account, and there's four Gospels, if you're familiar with your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and this one just seems like that the author is just in a hurry. It's like we are trying to get to the cross and resurrection of Jesus as fast as possible, and we see a Jesus in these stories as a man, as the God-man, who was relentless about his Father's glory. And last week we saw that he just comes on the scene, he gets baptized, remember he repents in our place, He goes to war with the devil, shows us that the kingdom of God is here. And we mentioned this verse last week. This is 1 Corinthians 4.20. just says this. One of my favorite verses about the kingdom. It just says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. The king is here. And as we saw last week, he starts to recruit his people Not the best of the best, but just regular people to begin the undoing of everything that is wrong in our world. And you need to know this. If you're a follower of this king, this is what we get to be all about. You need to know this. The people of God who are called and are following Jesus on our campus, in our city, in the world, we are slowly changing the world. You need to know that. What, what we're doing tonight, this many people rallying around the gospel to praise a man that we said died and rose again and is coming back, this is countercultural. And it's this type of life, this type of faith that can actually change the world. As he works in our hearts and as we obey him, we get to live on his mission. We get to see the kingdom of God come at Marshall. Here's the thing, though. I hope that stirs you. I hope that's what you want. But you can't get there through motivational speeches. You can't. There's no, so we can't get the music just right or just get excited enough up here on stage to make you decide to deny yourself and give your life 
to this king. In order to do that, your soul needs to be stunned by the grace and mercy of God. Your soul needs to be overwhelmed by the power of God, and you must take hard choices. Go against the grain of our world to see his kingdom come as you obey in power. And that's where we get to land tonight. Uh, The title of the message, if you're a note-taking person, you want to write this at the top, is just this. Four words. Jesus can heal you. Jesus can heal you. And like I said, I want you to be overwhelmed by his power. Um, In this narrative tonight, you're going to see five scenes. Um, We're not going to be able to stay in each one, obviously, for a long time, but it's going to show off the love and power of Jesus. The five scenes. We're going to get to see Jesus go head-to-head with an unclean spirit, a literal demonic spirit. We'll see him show off his healing power to many in a village. Um, The next scene after that is a break in the action for Jesus himself to clarify his mission and his message. We'll see Jesus minister to a leper, literally the bottom of the barrel in society, an untouchable person, someone completely full of shame. We'll see how Jesus interacts with people like that, maybe even some of us in this room. And lastly, we'll see what Jesus can do with someone who is paralyzed. And throughout all of these things, we'll get to see the glory of God's coming kingdom as we worship Jesus. So if you would, I'm going to just pray that the Lord would be present tonight, that uh, he would open up our hearts to receive uh, what he might have for us. So would you join me in prayer? Uh, Father, we ask right now, Lord, that you would humble us. Lord, that we would not come into these nights for any other reason but to glorify you. Lord, that you would open our hearts, open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Father, that no sin would leave unrepented of here tonight. And God, for those that you brought here tonight that do not know you, maybe they grew up going to church, but now in this new season they're realizing that they are far from you, I pray you would overwhelm them with the power of Jesus tonight. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, verse 21 through 28. This is Jesus versus the unclean spirit. Let's read. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately, there's that word again, immediately, on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So, right in the beginning of these eight verses. We see they. So this is Jesus' disciples that he recruited during last week's message. We've got Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Those were the ones who immediately followed him. And they headed to Capernaum, a nearby town. Notice what happens, though. Jesus goes straight to the synagogue to teach on the Sabbath. So bookmark this in your mind, because you'll notice this over and over again in Jesus' ministry. He's going to the synagogues, and he's doing things on the Sabbath. And this is on purpose. If you don't know culturally, the dominant religious system of that time was Judaism. 
And they had the Old Testament Scriptures. They should have known that the Messiah was coming, that Jesus was here to bring God's kingdom, but they didn't. They thought that they wanted someone else. Their hearts were blinded. They didn't see the glory and the beauty of Jesus. And I think he's targeting these places to show them that he is the one, the Savior of the world. Our Savior came from the Jews. And notice their reaction. I love this. And they were astonished at his teaching. Why? For he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. They're astonished at this man's teaching. And and a particular reason. They're astonished because of his authority. And if you look at the nature of the word authority, scholars would say that the force behind that word is actually the idea of authorship. So literally, Jesus is teaching as if he was the one who wrote the book, which he was. And they could tell. This man was nothing like the scribes. So just so, so you don't just let that be some historical tidbit for you to know. You need to know this. Jesus is not just the author of our Bibles. He is the author of history. He is the author of life and death. He is the author of your life and your death. His word, who he is, is the final authority on what truly matters. You need to hear this. Everything in you and in our culture will try to tell you that you and your feelings are the final authority. Do not buy that lie. You need to understand this. Even followers of Jesus need to let this change them. Stop letting others tell you how to think. Stop letting others tell you how to feel about yourself and the world. The Bible is our standard to claim to follow Jesus and not let his teaching shape our worldview is to make a mockery of following Jesus. You need to understand this. The Bible is not just something we sprinkle on our day and that way we can call ourselves Christians. When we are following Jesus, we are saying His way, His truth, His life, what He says is the standard. It dictates how we think, how we feel, how we interact, what our purpose in life is. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know your flesh will drift away from that. But every single time we get a chance to reorient around the preaching, every time you wake up and get in the Word, you get a chance to reorient, recenter around this truth. You realize this. You have absolute truth in your hands. And it can change everything. I love this, though. Can you imagine if a man with an unclean spirit walked in right now? Okay, that would be interesting. But all Jesus, I love, he is just ready to make it into a teaching moment. So he's astonishing them with his authority. He's preaching as if he is the one who created them. And an unclean spirit, literally a demonic spirit, comes in to the lesson, to the sermon. And I love this. Even the demonic spirit knew who Jesus was. Hear this. Even demons have good theology. And clearly that is not enough to just say who Jesus is. Need to hear this. Just you can know all the right stuff, but even demons can do that. Evil forces are real and they are present. And you need to know that you are influenced by them whether you know it or not. Ephesians 2, it's another letter from Paul, says this. This is Paul describing the nature of every human being, saved or unsaved, before Christ. It says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, pay attention, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit in this man, I don't want you to simply just be thankful that you're not that bad. If you are not in Christ, listen, you are following Satan, no matter how moral you think you are. And I know that sounds offensive, and if I hated you, I would just ignore this part. But you need to understand, just because you might not be demonically possessed, you are demonically influenced. Every institution, every worldview that is not based on the Bible is coming from an evil place that is seeking to destroy you. You need to understand this. Jesus is king and Satan is the prince of the power of the air because of the sin in our world and not just the sin out there, but the sin in us. Because of that, we are all by nature children of wrath because we treasure ourselves over God. Please hear this. This means to not treasure God above all things and orient your life around Him is evil. And Jesus came to undo that. I love when He interacts with this. He just says, be silent and come out of Him. And it happens. Jesus is the sovereign. Evil is on a leash. And in this moment, we see His fame start to spread. The people were astonished. His fame spread. And we should be astonished. And His fame should be spreading in and through our lives. Let's look at the next narrative. 29. This is where we see His healing power unable to be contained. And immediately... There it is again. He left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons." And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Please understand, Jesus does not stay in the religious buildings. He goes to where the hurting people are. And she is healed because she understands what Jesus can do. And before we move on to the next section, I want you to see one key detail in the text that brings up an important point in how we deal with these healing stories of Jesus. It clearly says that they brought all to him, And it also clearly says that Jesus healed many. So how do we reconcile this with our own personal experience? You're going to see times in this narrative, in this book, where Jesus does not heal everyone. Maybe he doesn't even heal every person in this town. So if that's the case, what is the point of these healings? There's a few. Here's the first point. The first point is to know that Jesus can heal. Jesus can heal you. No matter what you limped in here with, Jesus can heal you. But the next point finds its force and its power from the cross and resurrection. Listen, Jesus' healing shows off the fact that He really is the Son of God. And that what He does really is authoritative. You think, this man is claiming to be God, and then He heals people. That's a good sign that He's God. Jesus can heal your body, but He will always heal your soul. 
When Jesus heals, he is breaking into our world with a kingdom that is coming. Please understand, one day, Jesus really will, really will heal everybody. He will heal every body. And I believe that the asymmetry here is intentional to show us the importance of our mission as the people of God. We never want to downplay the importance of our bodies. God cares about creation. He cares about our bodies, and He cares about our health. But on this earth, He will heal your soul through faith in Him, and that may not mean that your body gets healed. Listen, any teacher that you listen to that claims faith in Jesus means instant perfect healing and prosperity in your life is demonic. That is not the way we handle truth. Jesus can heal, but He doesn't always. His healing is meant to show us a kingdom that is coming. And I know that some of you are in here and you are hurting. Maybe it is a physical ailment. It's a disease that you won't tell anybody about, or it's an upcoming surgery that you're terrified of, or it's a, any number of things. Maybe it's a mental health struggle. Whatever it is, you want healing, and you need to know that Jesus can and will heal you by faith now and one day by sight. You will be made like Jesus. This is proof that the kingdom is coming. The fact that Jesus heals, a lot of times we see his miracles and we think that he's like turning the world upside down, but really he's turning the world right side up. This is how the kingdom is supposed to operate. It's our sin and our brokenness and our evil that makes this place the mess that it is. And when you see these, don't just let it leave as if, oh, he doesn't do miracles anymore. That is nonsense. Jesus is still bringing the kingdom in and through the proclamation of his message. One day, every suffering will be gone. Every sin really will be gone. Don't let these stories discourage you that you haven't been healed yet. Praise Him that He can heal, and praise Him that He will heal every person in Him one day. The kingdom is coming. Look at verse 35. So we take a break from these narratives, and Jesus is going to clarify His mission even more. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there He prayed. And Simon and those who were with Him searched for Him, and they found Him and said to Him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, listen, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So two highlights from this passage. The first one, do not miss Jesus' prayer life here. He got up, not just early in the morning, very early in the morning, while it's still dark. And I don't know how many of you have seen morning where it's still dark in a while, um, but that's early. And I love this. He, he departed. He removed himself from the busyness of ministry. He went to a desolate place and he prayed. He communed with his father, sat in his presence and sought him. And this is so important for us to see as followers of Jesus. If you are in ministry, if you have called Campus Collective home and you are disciple making through as we equip you here and you're a follower of Jesus, you need to understand that we are going to push you. We have no um, desire for ministry to be relaxing. There is eternity at stake. We do not want to just play games with the Word and with ministry. But when we say that you, we want you to be relentless about your faith, 
we mean seeing every single thing in our life as a way to glorify God. Your hobbies are, are, are not even meant for your enjoyment. They are meant for the mission of God. They are meant to enjoy in a sense of thanking God for them and enjoying His creation. But even those things, every single thing, we want to leverage for the mission. But you also need to understand this. A relentless life for Jesus will mean relentlessly guarding and pursuing time with God away from ministry. need to understand this. Some of you all get burnt out because you don't guard time with God. If you are too busy for this, you are too busy. The most fulfilled life in human in all of history guarded time with his Father. Can you imagine if we were this type of people? Always guarding time. Can you imagine the strength and the peace and the joy and the hope that would come in this, in even in a room this size? People who made that a priority. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I've got to ask, why, why aren't you doing this? This isn't meant to guilt trip you. It's not going to motivate you to change anyways. But why aren't you doing this out of your own neediness? Out of your complete lack of deserving access to God? Jesus did it, and so should we. But the next thing I want you to see here is his ministry emphasis, okay? You see, he says, everyone's looking for him, and they find him. And he says, let us go on to the next towns. Why? That I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. Jesus says the reason he came was to preach. He had a message for people to believe about who he was and what he would do. He came to preach the good news. We do have good deeds to do, but we have good news to share. And I love this. He says that he wants to preach, but then he continues to preach and still cast out demons. It's not that because we prioritize mission and preaching that we forget to continue to do good and care about suffering. But getting this balance wrong makes us horribly inconsistent. The good deeds we do should build bridges and strengthen the news that we preach. Let's see what happens when Jesus interacts with a leper. This is verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, <laughs> bad obedience, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. So as we slowly walk through this, please understand the weight of this passage. People completely ostracized lepers. They were, this was a skin-eating disease. It made you untouchable. It made you unclean. You were full of shame. You were cast out. You were not a part of anything. You were lonely and you were desperate. No one messed with lepers. But this leper had the audacity to implore the king of kings and say, If you will, you can make me clean. That's a beautiful posture of prayer for us. If we could only see our sin, we would be this needy. He affirms Jesus' power and then begs him to use it, knowing that he doesn't deserve it. And look how Jesus responds. He doesn't say, stay away from me, you are unclean. He doesn't say, it might make me look bad for being around you. He has pity. Look at his heart. 
You need to understand if you are full of shame and lonely and cast out and unable and you just feel completely unworthy to come near to God, you need to understand Jesus has pity. And it's not pity in a degrading way. It's pity full of compassion. He sees you and you're hurting. And He will touch you. He will not shame you. He will not run away. I love what happens. Of course the leprosy goes away because Jesus is king. And it even goes away immediately. Leprosy jumped in on the immediately bandwagon of the book of Mark. Um, And and then we see a strange part of of Mark's gospel. It's so interesting. Jesus continues to tell people to not tell anybody about him. (laughs) Notice, isn't that weird? Like, miraculous healing, and he's like, listen, I need you to go to the temple, do the... Old covenant law, that's good, but do not, don't tell anyone of this miraculous thing that just happened to you. And, and scholars debate back and forth as to why, but I know it's clear that everything Jesus does is with intention and with purpose. So the reason he's telling these people not to is good and it's right. Um, but the real tragedy here, I think, is that we are commanded to tell everyone and we don't. Can you imagine if you had a skin-rotting disease and God just made it go away in an instant? You would tell everyone. Like, you, I'm always convicted by the things that I get excited about. And it's like, I can't wait to tell people that Dunkin' Donuts got their butter pecan flavor back. And it's like, like and I'm legitimately excited. Like, I'm telling people this. And, and you think about it, that is not a big deal. It's a big deal for my morning sometimes, but it is not a big deal. And I don't want you to miss the convicting Um, point here that Jesus in his good purposes was saying do not tell because he had work to do before he got to the cross but now after he has rose again all of y'all that are in Christ that have been healed from your sin leprosy we're supposed to tell everyone need to understand sin is worse than a skin eating disease and if we aren't telling people we don't understand how much we have been saved from just don't understand Let's land on Mark 2, and we're going to walk through this to end our time. This kind of puts it all together. We have all of these themes from these different narratives, and we see it all um, right here. I love this story. And when he returned to Capernaum, so he goes back, after some days it was reported that he was home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So they're back at Capernaum. The people found out that he was back. It got packed, and there's no room. The door is even slammed, and Jesus is preaching. His priority should be our priority. And look what happens. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. So they approached the crowded room, a paralyzed person. This is someone who was unable to walk on their own and carried by four people, incredible servant-hearted friends. And when they came, and when they, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. I love how nothing stopped these friends from getting their friend to Jesus. Crowd is too much? We're taking off the roof. We are getting our paralyzed friend to the one who can do something about it. Why would they do something like this? Two things, at least. They are absolutely convinced of their friend's need, and they were absolutely convinced of Jesus' power and love. You can imagine this scene. Instead of getting annoyed and distracted, Jesus handles the moment with complete clarity and grace and mercy and power and love. Look at his reaction. Can you imagine he's preaching, crowded room. All of a sudden there's a hole. Four people are lowing someone in. He says this, And when Jesus saw their faith, 
He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. What grace? First of all, Jesus can see faith. We can't trick Jesus by our good, moral, Christian, nice behavior. He sees faith. He sees your heart. And he shows this paralytic love and calls him son. And then this paralytic sins were forgiven. Notice, notice two things to set up the tension here. Do, do you think this is what those friends were thinking? They hear about this itinerant healing minister guy. Okay? And there's like people going around being like, I'm not really supposed to tell you this, but I just can't help it. Okay? Just, just so you know, he healed me, but don't tell him that I told you. And then he runs back. They know that something is happening with this Jesus. And they, they bust the roof off. That probably took some nerve and some skill. I don't know how easy it was. And you would think that what they wanted when they got their friend to Jesus, what do you think they would want? They'd want him to walk again. Right? You would think we'd finally get him to the healer, and instead Jesus has the audacity to say, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is showing the true priority here. There is a true and better miracle happening. Even if we downplay it in our own experience, need to understand it would have been cruel to make that man walk but never forgive his sins. Notice that Jesus saw their faith. Why mention that he saw the faith of the paralytic's friends as well? And honestly, in my prep for this sermon, I had no idea. I was stuck. But because of the power outage, one of our friends named Alex, she's a member here at HCC, um, stayed the night at our house, so she was up, and that meant that she got to help with the sermon. And she um, was listening to this, and I was just like, I don't understand. Why does it say there? I thought it was his faith, and I was all confused. And her thought process just cleared everything up for me. She says it meant to show the part that we get to play in the salvation of others. Now, notice this. It's not that our faith can save anyone. It's not like my faith in Jesus is going to save my friend. But by faith, we bring people to Jesus knowing that he can save you don't evangelize or do ministry unless you are absolutely convinced that Jesus can save. And maybe some of you aren't evangelizing because you're not convinced. Maybe you haven't drank deeply of the well of His grace. Maybe you haven't seen it in action. If you aren't doing this, are you convinced that He can save and know that He will save anyone and will not turn away anyone who comes to Him by faith? Let's see the scribes' reaction to this. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Just so you know, you're going to get really frustrated with the scribes throughout this year. Okay? And they were literally making Jesus' point. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. Except Jesus wasn't blaspheming. He was truth-telling. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, I love him, <laughs> that they questioned in their hearts, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? He knows what they're thinking, and then he literally addresses them of things they're thinking. It's just incredible. Okay. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? So this is a trick question, right? He's doing a teaching moment here. Then he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And Jesus loves to call himself the Son of Man. It actually invokes a prophecy in Daniel where it's a coming king who will conquer evil forever. So when he says Son of Man, you need to listen in. It's a moment of kingdom power here. 
And Jesus has the audacity to command a paralyzed man to get up and pick up his bed and go home. But when Jesus speaks and commands, it comes with it the power to obey. The paralytic, look what happens. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Be stunned by this grace. And I want us all, before we sing and praise Jesus, I want us all to be amazed and glorify God too. You need to understand this. You need to understand that you are the man with the unclean spirit following the course of this world. You need to understand that you are in need of Jesus' healing power. You need to understand that your sin goes way beyond skin deep like leprosy. And because of our sin, we are paralyzed in our evil. Without Christ, we are dead in our sin, unable to believe, unable to get up and walk, unable to repent and believe. And Jesus has the audacity to command us to repent and believe. Then he provides the way. Jesus did whatever it took to bring us into the kingdom. He didn't just bust the roof off. He took the Father's wrath that we deserve. He defeated death and sin and shame. He provided what He demanded from humanity. And then He gives us the faith to believe. And if you don't know Him, please don't think that you have to get up on your own. Because you might be thinking that. You might feel paralyzed in your sin and suffering. You've made all the promises. I was going to get better at this sin or get over this thing during quarantine and you are right back into it. You need to understand when Jesus says get up, that is not meant to guilt you. That is meant to grace you. You need to understand you're paralyzed in your sin, but he is a healer. You don't have to get up on your own. You say yes to him by faith. And if you do know him, please listen. Bust whatever roof you have to to get people to Jesus. Do good deeds, but love people enough to tell them the greatest news in the whole world. That Jesus can heal you. Jesus can heal what is killing your soul. And as the band comes back up, I just want to make sure that we never miss opportunities like this. Um, please, please understand, when we say things like this is not a performance or a show, we mean it. We are not working really hard throughout the week to put together a worship experience. We want you to interact with the living God through His Word. And in a room this size, I am not too ignorant to think there are some of you who may say yes to Jesus intellectually, but you have never surrendered to Him by faith. And I want you to know that there are people here that love Jesus and want to help. So there's people, uh, collective staff, that will be um, kind of floating around up front at the end of this and I am begging you, do not let, if you feel the Lord moving in your heart, you understand you are the one following the wrong path. You have no hope. You are understanding your sin. Please, please find us. We would love to teach you more about what it means to follow this Jesus. Let's pray.